Hey, this is AJ Condosta from Guttermouth, Jughead's Revenge, and Hit the Switch, and you're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. <laughs> Hello, 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 and welcome to the Miserable Failure Podcast. I am your host, Michael Krusty, and this is episode 54. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Really, really do appreciate it, as always. I know I say that a lot. I really do, but I appreciate you. So what can I say? Hey, you know, what you can do for me, because I appreciate you so much, is you can like and you can share this episode and all the episodes of the Miserable Failure Podcast I said that really funny. The Miserable Failure Podcast. And that would help us out a lot. The more people that listen, the better. You know, we want to take over the world and we want you to help us take over the world. On the episode today, I have AJ Condesta. He is the drummer for a million bands. And uh, we're going to chat. We're going to chat. We're going to have some fun. But first, I'm going to play you a song from Hit the Switch. Here you go. Here is North Star. drummer you're very talented on the drums there you can play very fast and before i get into anything with all the millions of bands you're in how many takes did it take you to play the entirety of the decline for your youtube channel well fuck it was technically one like long take but i I missed like a part and i have to play it the way i record them and stuff like i have to play it note for note if i don't you're gonna see it you're going to hear it and it's going to look cheesy as fuck. So I forgot like which break it was, which part was next. And I kind of went into the wrong part. So I basically had to like roll it back and then continue on from that point. So I guess technically it was two takes, but one take of the whole song, like split in half. But I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah. Pretty but it damn took good. me, you know, I, it took me fuck at least like six hours of just listening to it nonstop and then taking notes like, okay, he's not hitting the symbols on every chord change here. 
he only hits the symbols like on these chord changes and then he only does a fill like here <laughs> and then on the turnaround he, like he doesn't do any fills it's just straightforward like so i had to make little notes and stuff like that yeah well, but you, uh, you did it i guess you had some time it was during the pandemic so yeah and before before i had a kid and stuff too i had nothing but time <laughs> <laughs> and now you have probably haven't slept in a while yeah not not a whole lot probably more than my wife has but still sleeping is still a bit of a rarity yeah but well, we're adjusting you you figure it out that's that's Absolutely. what it is right you figure we're, it out we're winging it people talk about like parenthood and so oh man your whole life is gonna change and i mean my perspective on life of course has changed especially having a baby girl but basically it's like that ah, just keep this fucker breathing that's really all yeah. you gotta do for like the first couple of years <laughs> just keep her fucking yep. breathing man yep. keep her alive and she's the most important thing like above you i'll eat dog shit as long as she's breathing we're good yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely you're in a lot of bands. I, I don't even know where to start. I guess we'll start with the newest. I guess the newest band is Hit the Switch. Well, newest, I guess, um, to everybody else, but not really newest to me. Like I joined Hit the Switch right when Nitro Records was kind of going down and we're that whole falling out was kind of starting to happen where they were going to stop releasing new records and just go strictly catalog. So I kind of joined right towards the end of Hit the Switch's run with Nitro, which was, I guess, early 2010, late 2009, somewhere around there. And then I joined Jugheads about like a year later. And then I've been in Guttermouth for, I want to say it's like three or four years, four years or something like that now. And I was in Voodoo Glow Skulls for about six years, kind of in between all that too. But yeah, I guess Hit the Switch is probably the newest to everybody else, even though the band was technically established in like 2001, 2002. <laughs> that long ago. Wow. I mean, yeah, yeah, I guess they're probably known in like the California area or do they do much touring? They did a little bit of DIY touring and stuff before I joined and before signing to Nitro. Then once they signed to Nitro in 2005 or six um, and put that record out, they obviously toured a little bit more extensively. Yeah. And then when I first joined, we were touring somewhat frequently. We did Europe a couple times, like the first couple of years I was in the band. And then we did a couple of like US runs and stuff. And then took a long hiatus. More guys were like having kids and starting businesses and stuff like that. And we we're like, all right. I mean, last record was in 2009. Nine, yeah. We don't, we don't want to really tour and, you know, run the same route until we have something new to offer. And we knew we at least had another record in us. So it just took us a lot longer than we planned to write and record and finish that record, you know? And then once we did, we were back at it again. And it came out 2018. And you guys toured on that. that I saw you guys in Toronto for that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's where we was met. That, uh, the Bovine? Bovine yeah, that was the Bovine. Right? Yeah. You guys did the the tour run that a lot of bands do where they'll hit Toronto before they go to Montreal and play Pooza. Yeah. I think that was 2019. I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that's that, on the wall somewhere over here, right behind me. So, yeah, 2019. There it yeah, is. I see it right there. <laughs> yeah. That was a good year. Yeah, it was fun. A lot of fun. It was great. Uh, we knew Bird Attack like had some reach and stuff out there as well as Europe. So, but Hit the Switch has barely dipped their toes in Canada. Like, even before I never went there with Hit the Switch since I was in the band. So, I think they just kind of dipped in a little bit of Eastern Canada when they were on Nitro. I, I think when they did that tour with Smart Bomb that's over there. So back in 2008. Wow. And like, that was it. So when we did Pooza and we played at Foofs and we had a great time slot, like right before Pairs, we were pleasantly surprised with the reaction when we came out and, and when we played. It was great. Sometimes I just go to the Bovine just to go because I know there's bands playing and I, did, yeah. I didn't even know who hit the switch was. Oh, really? I, I walked in that awesome. night and I was just like, whoa, this is... I think I want to say that was like the first show of the tour too. <laughs> and like that was really, and that was kind of our first tour. That was only the second show that we played. I think since we put the record out, we did one show just to kind of knock the rust off with ignite in San Diego, right before the record came out. I think it was like the week of or something. And then we just started booking for Europe and for Canada. And that was actually Justin, his first show with us, Justin Van Westbrook. He's in uh gutter mouth and stuff with me. He's been in gutter mouth for like, I don't know, 12 years or so. But him and I have been really good friends for, fuck, almost like 20 years before either one of us were in any kind of notable bands. Our bands used to grow up playing together. And then he randomly like ended up in Guttermouth when I kind of randomly ended up in Jughead's Revenge and then Voodoo. And we ended up touring together. And we're like, this is fucking crazy. But yeah, that was like his first show on lead guitar with Hit the Switch. So wow. I wonder how it sounded. If yeah, we it just sounded great. never heard us before, then I guess yeah. we're going to do that. <laughs> I was like, this is great. It's like a Willem scream or like, you know, it's just like 
kind of technical, fast punk. It's great. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. Do you guys have any any plans at all to to do anything? Like, you're still a band, right? Hit the switch? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. We had some good momentum pre-COVID, of course. You know, we did Canada, and we got to go over to Europe and do a lot of those big festivals. And um, we did, I don't know, like a three- or four-week run, kind of tying all those together. And we hooked up with Stephen Rawls from Belvedere, and he started Merit-Based Booking, and he took us on. That was amazing response as well at all like punk rock holiday and Brock rock and stuff. And then we did a handful of dates with less than Jake and shows with propaganda and pairs and mass intruder and cigar. That was awesome. But so then we got home from that and we did a few shows with like authority zero around here, California, Arizona. And then it's like, boom, we had all kinds of stuff. We we're getting ready to go back to Canada for like music for cancer and possibly Envol Macadam in Quebec city. And then we we're going to go from there to Japan. And then, wow. Yeah, COVID hit and it was just like, all right, well, fuck. But luckily, instead of just kind of separating and doing our own thing like we've done in the past, we're like, let's get together, you know, every fucking Sunday and, you know, let's let's cook some food and let's smoke some weed and drink some whiskey and let's write some songs on acoustics. And Matt and myself and Justin, we've been getting together somewhat frequently and just kind of writing. And we've probably got shit, at least like 20 ideas and everything and start putting those together and narrowing those down. Our goal is to have like a new record to release sometime next year. 20 something songs already. That's a great, a great start. <laughs> a really great yeah, start for an album. That process of elimination, especially like with Matt and to where he's like satisfied because we don't want to make, you know, kind of run of the mill fast, like skate punk stuff. Like we like to incorporate a lot of other influences, you know, a lot of classic rock influences and like, honestly, we've been listening to a lot of pop music, a lot of like Joni Mitchell, Eagles, of course, Tom Petty, like all that stuff is always like always on rotate for us. And those things just naturally kind of bleed in. Like, how do we take those ideas and turn them into a fast skate punk song? You know? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way of writing like hooky melodies and stuff. You listen to exactly. that kind of stuff. That's yeah. something that we learned throughout the process of writing and recording in Tropic, the, our last record, we can no longer like build a song solely like around a riff. Like it's got to follow the melody. Everything's got to start with the melody. Matt is super good at like coming up with melodies and it'll even be things that may sound somewhat typical and easy to the ear, but you know, an actual trained ear can actually listen to it and kind of listen to the, maybe the time signature or just how long a note is held before it's changed into the next phrase. And they're not so typical, you know, a lot yeah. of those come from listening to like Joni Mitchell and stuff like that, you know, it's it a little less predictable. Totally. I know that like Fat Mike, when, when he writes a song, he'll write the melody and the lyrics and then he'll put the music to it. That's why yeah. some of those like no effects songs, they, they don't have choruses or they, right. you know, they, it's just like different parts yeah. because he's just literally putting the chords, the music with what he's singing. Yeah. And Matt's become a lot more comfortable and has a lot more like faith, I think, after doing Entropic and writing songs like North Star and like Losing Reverie that are real melody driven. I think not only did we prove to ourselves, but I think more importantly, he kind of proved to himself too. like, oh, this melody in my head, if I just focus on that and get that out, there will end up being a cool song around it. It's not just going to sound like these same old typical chords that have been used a million times. There are other ways that you can put these chords together and it all just comes to the melody and let the melody drive the song. And so we are kind of incorporating a lot more of that while writing our new stuff now. And having Justin in the band is the perfect complement to that process as well. Cause Justin's schooled and trained in guitar. Like he, he knows all the chords and all the different variations, how to make it. It's like, Oh, well, if you're just playing a typical C G, B, whatever melody. He's just like, you can invert it and you can do this and you play like a, you know, an F major seven or something here instead of just going to the F. And there's different ways to make it sound bigger and not so, you know, monotonous and predictable. Not just three chords over and over again. Yeah. What's your part in the writing process? Like, do you play guitar or is I it do. like, yeah, you do? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Guitar was actually my first instrument when I was like, I don't know, five or six years old. I didn't really start playing drums for bands until I was 18 or 19, but 
I mean, I always wanted to play drums. I asked for a drum set. My parents got me an acoustic guitar instead. They're like, fuck no, we're not, we're not spending all this money on something that he's probably going to be over in a week. And, but yeah, no, I, I did well with the acoustic and they eventually got me an electric. And when I was like 11, I think I kind of started jamming with dudes in the neighborhood and starting my own band, you know, and then started playing shows around here. Shit. When I was 12 or 13, I think is when I started playing some of my first shows opening up for bands like, you know, homegrown, I think homegrown and Chuck was my first show with my old band hamper. And it was at cafe underground in Redlands. Yeah. And then luckily growing up around here, we had the showcase theater and, uh, you know, Copacetta cafe and the barn and a lot of those national acts and even bigger bands, you know, like from LA and orange County that were blowing up at the time, like, you know, vandals and gutter mouth and jughead's revenge and strung out and stuff. Like we got to open for a lot of those bands back then, but yeah, I was on guitar then. And so I still play guitar quite a bit. I write a lot of things on acoustic. We have basically a shared voice memo, like folder where we all have access to. And Ray lives in Colorado, our bass player. So, but he plays guitar as well. And if he writes a riff or something cool, we could just, we just upload it to that folder and we just kind of go through it anytime that we get together and everybody listens to ideas as they're submitted. And, you know, I write riffs. I'm writing songs too, mainly for like new Jughead's Revenge stuff too, that we're working on. We've already recorded one partially, no vocals yet, but music we recorded. And then we're going to do another one. We all write. We all write. Jughead's Revenge, you guys are going to have a new album up. coming. Yeah. We just put out the first like new song or single or whatever you want to call it in 20 years. It's been basically 20 years since they put anything new out. Because mm-hmm. let's see, their last full length was uh, Pearly Gates. And I think that came out late 99. And then I think they did like a song or two for some of those Fearless records like Pop Goes Punk or... Yeah. You know, remember those comps? Yeah. I think, yeah, I think they did a song or two for some of those and that was the last shit they ever recorded. So yeah, we released uh, the first song in forever, American Gestures. It's funny. I've been in Jughead's Revenge for like 11 years almost. <laughs> this is like the first time actually going into a studio and releasing something. So it's awesome. And we got a good response from it. Great response. We put it out just kind of as a single with people of punk rock and we're going to do a seven inch with that as well. The B side will possibly be... I guess the song that I wrote that we recorded, but yes, good response. And then we've got also some label interests and everything from Europe and possible uh, booking agency and everything as well. So we're just like, well, fuck, you know, cause when we did amnesia rock fest in Montebello, Quebec. Yeah. That was what a couple of years ago, at least. Right. That was like five, that was 2016. And that was supposed to be like Joe D the singer was just like, you know what? Like, I think that's a good note to go out on, you know, and we're just going to kind of be done or whatever after that. And then I don't know if it was just a pandemic or what, but obviously we're, we're, we're like family. So we've always talked and kept in touch and see each other when we can, but we didn't, we didn't, hadn't played together in forever, but yeah, we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. Like you got something to say. We got song ideas. We just booked a studio for one day. We basically wrote the song, American gestures, the song that we released in like one session here at my house. And then we went a couple days later and recorded it. And then we put it out and it was a good response. We're just like, you know what, fuck it. I guess we're not done. <laughs> we're not done yet, so.
did you guys do anything for so long? Was there any particular reason or was it just like, not, not really. I mean, when Jughead's even kind of reformed after breaking up for like 10 years, they reformed with Andy, the drummer that they had when they did Pearly Gates and all that. So like the last drummer for Jughead, I'm like the seventh fucking drummer for Jughead. <laughs> I'm like the seventh drummer for most of the bands that I'm yeah. in. When they, so they rejoined after being broken up for like 10 years and they rejoined and had Andy and stuff too. And then hit the switch with the Nitro Records ties and all that. And Joe was dating a good friend of mine and stuff as well. Like obviously I've known Butow for years too. Eric Butow, the bass player. So like I already kind of knew all those guys and stuff through that. And then hit the switch. We played with them in Long Beach and they were kind of, it wasn't working out with Andy, but they really wanted to play again. They wanted to come back and kind of play again. But when they made that decision to come back, they knew like, okay, we're not going to try to make this huge fucking push. And this, we're this novelty nineties band making a huge reunion. Like, no, let's just get together. Let's do shit. That's fun. You know, if we end up writing some music, then maybe we'll put it out. Maybe not, but you know, let's just go out and do shit that's fun for everybody. And that makes sense. So fuck their first shows back. We're like house of blues here with bad religion. And then another house of blues show like strung out. And then first tours that we went on when I joined the band shortly after they got back together, we did some runs with strung out and then we went to Australia and did the hits and pits with a bunch of rad bands like black flags reunion was on that voice. That's fire snuff, all kinds of rad bands off with their heads bad astronaut even got back together for it. Like it was amazing. And we're like, yeah, this is the kind of shit that we want to do. And then we went and did rock. Did you try out for strung out when they were looking for a drummer before RJ joined? Nope. No, I was, I was never asked, but that's, I, those guys are friends of mine and stuff too. I, I talked to like Jake and Chris and Rob, like somewhat frequently. No, I didn't, I don't even know if I wanted to even attempt to <laughs> not just to fill those shoes. Cause I mean, I know I, there's a lot of shit Jordan does or did in his prime, especially that I can't do. <laughs> I mean, I could probably wing it, fake some shit, but I just knew that that band probably deserved somebody better to me, better than me. Like, uh, in my mind, I'm kind of very humble. I'm a hack. Yeah. Oh, geez. I feel like I constantly have <laughs> so much to learn. I totally feel like oh, a, hack. I'm a drummer, but if uh, you're a hack, then I'm like the <laughs> bottom feeder over here. Give me a break. But I'm 41 and I'm still hungry and still learning. And RJ is just a beast. Yeah, know? he's just, RJ is, yeah, he is a beast. I that's mean. that's who they need. Like, they need somebody like that, you know? Even though I will say, you know, he's a great fucking drummer. And I love it. He does overplay some of the old shit. There's, I'm not going to lie. But he, it rips and it works. But in my opinion, I'm like, oh, I would rather hear just that original Jordan fill right there, you know? Even though Rob probably wrote the fill anyway. <laughs> Rob kind of mouthed a lot of drum parts and stuff too. Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he has a big hand in writing a lot of that stuff, but what do you think of the latest Belvedere album? Oh, it's great, man. Yeah. Fuck, Elephant March is like, it's so catchy. Uh, that song dude, that, is so catchy. That whole album is just great groove. I mean, yeah. sonically it sounds fucking sound, great. Though, yeah. yeah. The production is really good and, and they just, record it all themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Their drummers, like basically their engineer and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He's got a studio. He just fucking rips. He's insane. Yeah, that, that whole album rips, man. Daniel? Is it Daniel or Casey? I think it's Casey. I'm sorry, Stephen, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We love that guy, man. He's done a lot for Hit the Switch. Yeah, just super grateful for that guy. He's like the you know Canadian sweetheart, and he's done a lot for fast punk music in Canada. Oh, he's, yeah, he's definitely and championed he, yeah. that scene and stuff out yeah. there for a long time. And, you know, scenes need people like that and need people like you. Like you said, uh, you know, a little bit ago that you used to just go to the bovine, not knowing who's playing. People in California don't do that shit, man. You know, they're not going to go spend even $10, $15 on a show unless they already know that they like the band or they're going with a friend that's like saying, dude, you got to come see this band. Like California, it's just so jaded. There's so much to choose from and so much going on. It's not like going to Europe or even parts of Canada where they just see a tour poster and it's like, hit the switch, Nitro Records, California, skate punk. They're like, oh, I'm, they're playing my town. I'm going to go see them, you know? Yeah. It's not really like that here. So the scene needs people like you, like Steven, you know? Like you, drummers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, not as far as go. I don't fucking ever go to shows anymore, no. man. No, well, your I mean, father, I I can. your yeah. father, you don't have time for that. Do you want to talk about Voodoo Ghost Cult at all? We can talk about whatever you want, man. You're in the band for, for what, like five, five years? Something like that. Like I started kind of jamming with them for, it had been a few months before I played my first show. Cause they just knew like the drummer they had, this guy, Anthony, 
he had moved to Vegas to like take kind of like a full-time playing in cover bands and doing that circuit and stuff out there. Cause you make pretty good money doing that. And you're playing drums for a living. You know, you're not swinging a hammer. You're playing cover bands and casinos. And I would do it if I had that opportunity. Shit. Them being based kind of in Riverside and Frank already living in Arizona at the time. And then they kind of wanted a drummer that was close. And I lived literally the next street over from George, real close to Eddie too, in the studio. And so they just kind of knew that, you know, it might go south with Anthony. It might eventually get in the way and there's going to be like some scheduling conflict and stuff. So I was kind of jamming with them in the background for a little bit. And then, yeah, my first show, I think, was punk rock bowling side show at like backstage bar. I don't know if it was 2013 or 14. I think it was 2014. I joined from then on and I was with them until I want to say like October, November of 2019. So it was about five and a half years. Are you in any of the recordings that they released over the pandemic, like the cover stuff or any of that? No, but I was involved. Let's see. A couple of years after I joined the band, I went and recorded like eight songs and then another eight songs like the next year, which were all going to be songs for a new album. It was something that we were working on. So I recorded, fuck, probably like 16 songs and stuff with them. And they ended up using maybe only a handful of those songs on the new record. When they got a new drummer and they got Steven, they just had him kind of re-record and rewrite, you know, which makes sense. You know, makes so sense. Yeah. He, yeah, exactly. He's, he's, a, he's their drummer. And if they're putting a new record out, why would they just write, you know, six songs with him and then put six? Because they kind of did that, I think, on their last full length record. Like when Dally joined the band, I think they still had some songs that were with Jerry. And then some of the songs on the album were Dally. And so, yeah, to be fair to him, I think they're just like, you know what, let's write a bunch of new shit and then let's whatever we want to use that AJ already did drums on. Let's just you write and play what you want to play. And yeah, because you're playing it every night. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, it's it's a good thing they did because the album has continuity and it sounds consistent. I, it wouldn't sound consistent. And the album sounds great. We're still tight. This house that I'm in right now, this is the Casillas family home. This is the house that Voodoo Glow School started in 30 plus years ago. This was the house they grew up in pretty much. And George is my landlord, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Ba the baby's room, which is a couple doors down the hallway, that was Frank's old bedroom. And that's where they first started um, jamming and writing songs and rehearsing and stuff and practicing. Before, before you moved in, did you like shampoo all the, the, the carpets mm. and like wash the walls? <laughs> oh yeah. We, we gave it a deep clean, but <laughs> not, not, not for those reasons. They hadn't lived here obviously for a long time. They moved out after high school and when voodoo was like kind of taken off and stuff, especially they all kind of bought houses and moved out. But yeah, this was their family home. Then after, their dad passed away shortly before I joined the band. And so their mom was kind of in this big house you know, kind of by herself and it just became a little too much. So, so yeah, so she moved out and uh, she lives with George and Dana and stuff now. And they, she's perfectly healthy and everything too, but just, you know, you don't want her to be lonely and, and miserable. So they, yeah. they, they keep her company. She lives with her son. She's happy. She's stoked. And, and it I worked out for you. You have a house now. Yeah. For, you have for a house to live in. fucking price. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So were you a fan of like voodoo, like growing up in the nineties or? Oh, fuck yeah, man. I'm from Riverside, dude. So voodoo glow skulls were hometown heroes. Even before the first record came out, the Who Is This Is, even before that, we would see them at the barn, hamper my old band, yeah, even opened up for them on a couple of shows. The Doctor Strange stuff too, like especially was real big where I'm from, Riverside, like Inland Empire area in Southern California. And that was, you know, all the first like face-to-face -face stuff, all the first gutter mouth stuff and everything too, and rhythm collision and like, and of course, voodoo and, and oh yeah. Like I used to see them all the fucking time. So I was super stoked. Like when Eddie hit me up, we'd become somewhat friends because obviously once I was in hit the switch and in Jughead's revenge and, and everything too, you know, we play together occasionally, but so we somewhat knew each other, you know, there's only a handful of bands or musicians from this area that are actually kind of touring and somewhat national acts and successful. So we all kind of know each other a little bit. Yeah, and it's like, oh, we need a drummer. Well, AJ's in a couple of bands and he knows how to tour. He knows what to do and he's a cool guy. Let's Yeah, let's he had him. actually hit me up. Like, he hit me up a couple of times. And when he hit me up the first time, Jugheads was actually super busy, <laughs> believe it or not. Like, Hit the Switch was busy, Jugheads was busy. And I said yes, but I think he knew, like, okay, this is exactly why we're getting a new drummer. We need someone that can be committed and be around and no, no scheduling conflicts, you know? And so it didn't work out the first time he asked me. But then 
about a year, year and a half later, he asked me again and Jughead's wasn't as busy and hit the switch was on that hiatus. And I'm just like, like, fuck yeah, I'm fucking down. I felt the nostalgia and the just pure stoke every night on tour with those guys playing songs like Dogpile and Insubordination and Shoot the Moon and Fat Randy and Charlie Brown. Like I grew up on those records. I grew up the first mosh pit I ever went in was a Voodoo Glow School show, you know, when I was like fucking 12 or 13 at the barn in Riverside. And it was to the song Dogpile. Yeah, man, I grew up a huge fucking fan of them. And I was obviously super stoked every time that I got to go and play those songs with them. And those guys took me all over the world pretty much, man, for years. Some of the best shows I've ever played, some of the raddest shit I've ever got to do is with those guys. That's awesome. That's yeah, man. Very cool. Were you going downtown, like into LA, like Los Angeles a lot for shows? I don't know exactly how far it is. Like I can look at a map, but like, is it like, is it like an hour to get to Los Angeles or like three hours to get to a show in Los Angeles? <laughs> it could be both. <laughs> Southern California traffic, like literally. Okay. Like the Inland Empire is inland. So it's basically if you're looking at like the center of a map, it's like we're right there. And you go, say, a little bit southwest and there's L.A. And then you go even a little bit southwest of that. And then there's Orange County. And then San Diego is just even a little further down. You know, it's kind of a cool like hub because we're basically like an hour. We're an hour from snowboarding and everything at the mountain resorts. My parents actually live up there in Big Bear. We're an hour from some of the raddest like desert shit. If you're into that, like to go out and ride fucking dirt bikes or buggies or whatever. And we're like an hour from multiple, multiple beaches. So as a kid, yeah, I got to go as a teenager and go to shows at like, uh, you know, the Roxy and the Whiskey and the Troubadour and stuff like that, sneaking in and playing those venues. But obviously X is on the hands and you can only come in and play and then you got to get the fuck out. You know, I couldn't hang out. But we honestly had a lot of venues here in the Inland Empire that were popping. Like Showcase Theater was Pennywise like rolling through there in like the early 90s. And like we had the San Bernardino Arena for like the bigger bands that were already like the Rancids and Offsprings and uh, no doubt. Vandals. Yeah, no doubt. Green um, Day. Some of Green Day's, Green Day and Rancid both. Some of their first Southern California shows were booked by Jughead's Revenge and played with Jughead's Revenge. There's all kinds of flyers and stuff out there too that, that show that, which is pretty awesome. But Jughead's goes way deep in the LA scene and Voodoo is obviously way deep in the whole Southern California scene, especially in the Empire. And same with Guttermouth was way deep in the Orange County scene, but also in the Empire. And all those bands would come to Showcase Theater and the barn and stuff and play there. And then the bigger, bigger ones would play like San Bernardino Arena. And we even got to play there a couple of times, you know, open it up for the Vandals, Ignite, Humble Gods. Like we got to do some cool shows there. So I almost didn't really have to go to LA very much as a kid. Yeah. Like they came to you. Yeah, because a lot of those bands were coming through here. Would you say that you prefer the Los Angeles punk scene over like New York or the UK punk scene that kind of, or the Washington one? You know, I don't know. I mean, there's so many, like I said earlier, LA is just kind of so jaded, not only just for like regular like concert goers, I guess you would call them for lack of a better term, but also for just some of the, the scenesters out here. You know, a lot of them like their bands. Like there's a lot of separation, which I don't remember it being that way in the 90s. But there's a lot of like sub scenes out there. Like there's like the Mexican ska kids, you know, and then they don't go to like the traditional Latino like ska shows. And then they definitely don't go to like the, you know, Latino ska core shows. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of separation stuff out there. A lot of L.A people just in general in and out of the punk scene are just pretty pretentious and a little bit jaded and stuff. And I've honestly, anytime I've played New York, it's been a fucking amazing show. Same with like New Jersey. I've never been to Washington, DC. All the touring I've done for wow. 20, 20 fucking years. I have never played DC. That's that's insane to me. Like, that is pretty crazy. Yeah. I've been to fucking Costa Rica, Puerto Rico, Japan, like South America. I've never played Washington, DC. I respect a lot of the bands and stuff that came out of that punk scene and still do, but I don't know. Yeah. I prefer one over the other. Yeah. It's cool to think that you've been a musician for most of your life. And I, I guess professionally for like the last 20 years or so, and, and you still have like things on the list that you haven't done that you want to check off and like even oh, places yeah. you um, haven't gone to yet. Tell yeah, Tons of places. Still, still never been to like 
you know, Hong Kong or Brazil. Still haven't done Brazil. I was really hooked because right before I joined Voodoo, they just did like a tour down there and it was just fucking huge. You know, it was like they do really well uh, in that market. Like the best show I've ever played was Mexico City and I was with them. Like fucking 20,000 people singing the horn louder than the PA. Like it was amazing. And uh, I wish I could have gone to Brazil with them, but I didn't get the chance. Didn't happen. We had El Salvador, but they didn't come through with visas. And so we didn't get on the plane because we didn't want to find out what the fuck would happen to us and a possible third world country without visas. So we didn't, we didn't end up going. Like getting visas. Is that like for Canadians getting into the States or like going to UK, you have to get like a P2 visa. Yeah. I'm not sure the exact visa that they require, but yeah, I mean, basically to go, you're conducting business, basically some countries like (laughs) I'm sure just about every mid-level to low-level touring punk band has done this and snuck merch in their own personal luggage to Europe and the UK. And you can, you can flirt with that type of shit over there. You know what I mean? But you don't want to, you don't want to fuck around like that when you go to places like El Salvador, you know, Nicaragua or something like that. So everything's got to be on the up and up and you're basically conducting business. You're going there, you're getting paid, you know, a guarantee and you're selling merchandise and stuff there. So they, they want to tax your ass. Yeah. Because the the government sees it as you're taking jobs away from people who live here. So we want to make money off you. Yeah. And definitely. uh, Even though you're kind of promoting the cities and stuff that you're going to, because you have fans all over the world that are going to see you there and be like, fuck, like, look at the scene that El Salvador has like, holy shit, you know, like, fuck, I want to go to a show there or maybe my band wants to go there. So it doesn't hurt the economy. That's for sure. But still, if you're making money there, just like most other places, you better pay them taxes, better pay them taxes. (laughs) Damn straight. For anyone who's listening who doesn't really know the tour life or anything like that, it's like when a band goes to Europe, I'm sure like you had mentioned, most of the time they're filling their luggage with all the merch. And then all you have for like that, you know, three week tour or five week tour is the little handbag you're carrying on the flight on the plane with you. Been a while, but I've definitely done those tours. It's it is much nicer, like going kind of legit, the legit way and places like, you know, Europe and UK and all that stuff. Like you can still. UK, you get a little bit of a hard time. Most in Europe, you can still just be like, hey, this is merchant. We're not really going to make much money on this. Like this, we could show you how much it costs us to fucking print this shit up and to bring it here. This is basically promotional stuff. This is just promotional shit that we're giving away for the band. And most of the time you could skate through all around Europe without having to pay a dime in fucking taxes, which is fine. You can order shirts there or merch there, but it might cost more too. So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's definitely more expensive. But it's nice going, like not having to worry about it. Like, okay, everybody get your story straight at the fucking border. It's nice to just have a visa, have paperwork and be like, here's their visas. This is their tour. This is what they're doing. And it's so stressful when you have to do that. Like you're going through the border and like, okay, no one fucking talks but the driver. Especially since on the way there, everybody's trying to smoke all the weed they have oh, on yeah, before yeah. they cross the border. Yeah, yeah. So we're all super high and paranoid. We're like, well, <laughs> fuck it. How are we yeah. here? Like, where are we going? It's the most stressful it thing on the God. And then it's like you get through and then it's just like, oh, this yeah. is amazing. Where's the weed at? Let's go buy yeah. some more <laughs> Let's go buy weed. Yeah. You're in Guttermouth. You yeah, joined Guttermouth in 2017. I believe so. Yeah. What's that like? How many times have you played Lipstick Live? Oh, every fucking set. We, <laughs> we close every set with it. It's fun, man. I like Guttermouth is just no pressure. You know what I mean? Like we never, we never rehearse. Our first shows back are in 18 months were August 20th and 21st. And we headlined two nights at a nice venue in Big Bear up in the mountains called The Cave. That was the first time I'd seen Mark or Matt in... 18 fucking months. They both live in like North state, Washington, up by Seattle. Like we just showed up and fucking and wing it, you know, but it's always fun. We never have a set list. There's never really a plan. We just, we just kind of wing it and just have fun. You know, there's never really any pressure. Mark is always like every other band. I'm my own worst critic, but I'm always like dead sober, not even high. Like I want to play, you know, perfectly. And not that I don't want to play perfectly with gutter mouth, but like, Mark and the other guys are always just like, let's give him some mushrooms before we play or something. (laughs) Tonight's the night, bro. You're going to fuck up tonight. We're going to make you fuck up. Like they want me to, you know, they encourage it. It's just about having fun. And also, obviously, just like with Voodoo, I mean, I was a massive Guttermouth fan growing up and stuff too. So playing songs off those records, man. Like when we did Big Bear, we did night one, we did the 
full length first record in its entirety. And then night two, we did friendly people in its entirety playing shit like that. That's, that's the soundtrack to my youth, man. Same with Jughead's Revenge, man. Same thing. It says here, according to Wikipedia, Uh-oh. the last album that you guys released was in 2006. Shave the Planet. That's not true. Oh, well, I guess. You have the, the live album, the whole yeah, enchilada. I, the whole enchilada. Because basically, even before I was in the band, they, with Bird Attack Records, they did a couple of EPs, like the New Car Smell EP. And so they took those as well as like a bunch of live stuff and they made the whole enchilada like double vinyl record thing but i guess shave the planet must be i guess the last like official legitimate like full-length lp possibly we're talking about writing and recording new shit too oh, okay i was gonna say yeah. i'm assuming if you're not practicing you probably don't have any songs written <laughs> yeah no <laughs> I mean, that's what sound checks for yeah the way technology and stuff is especially with me and me and justin we get together and he's an engineer he has a studio and he also has a portable studio where we can like program drums at my house if we have guitar ideas or something and we'll program some drums to it and demo some shit. That's kind of how we're doing some pre-production for new Hit the Switch stuff at the same time. And we've done a little bit of that with Gutter Mouth songs and obviously with Hit the Switch songs and stuff too. So we don't necessarily have to all be in a room, get together. If we come up with something that we think is cool and that, you know, Mark and Matt and the other guys might like, then we'll send them a file and be yeah. like, hey, what do you think? You know? The Hit the Switch album, was it mostly like triggered, would you say? Because I feel like maybe like the, the kick and snare were like triggered. I don't. I know he used plugins on stuff. TJ, we recorded that with TJ Rivera, who we recorded pretty much all the old stuff with over the years, and he just always got better and better over the years. I know he's got certain plugins. He likes to mix actual live acoustic drums and get get real, like get good tones and everything, and then he'll blend in like plugins and stuff with it. I'm not an engineer. I don't necessarily understand how a lot of that shit works, but I know that as a drummer and listening, you can definitely tell the difference when something is just 
They basically tracked drums just to get the signal and then they replaced every sig signal hit for hit with a plug-in and then adjust the velocity and everything to make it sound human, just like how you can program drums. But I can tell the difference between completely programmed, completely triggered and plug-in and then where there's a blend of like the natural, he likes to do a lot of blending. Blending, how do you feel about that stuff? Do you like, do you prefer natural drums or it's like whatever sounds best or uh, there's, there's definitely drummers who hate it and drummers who rely on it or like want yeah, it. Yeah, and honestly, I would think most of those motherfuckers are lying. <laughs> as long as it's, it sounds good and it sounds real, it sounds like me. What I want to hear is what it sounds like in my head when I'm playing it, you know, or like what it sounds like behind my kit when we're playing it live or something like that's how I kind of want it to sound on the record. And what it sounds like in my head, obviously, isn't what it sounds like to whoever's standing in front of the kit sometimes. It's going to sound different to me. It's going to, because I'm going to feel the hits. You know what I mean? I feel them. So obviously, it's going to change and beef up the sound. So as long as the record sounds like it feels when I play it, that's what I care about. As long as it doesn't sound like Lars's snare in St. Anger, you're good. No, right? yeah, yeah, God, I could take a shit on a trash can lid and it'll sound better than that. So. <laughs> yes. um, but, as, but I can tell. Obviously, it's not going to sound like it feels when I play it if it's all trigger, 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 and everything is like the same velocity. It's just going to sound like a machine. Whatever TJ did, I'm fine with. I mean, the, we cleaned some stuff up when in mastering when we sent it to Blasting Room. I know I used my 24-inch kick drum when we recorded it, and you could fucking tell. Like, I was just like, man, that kick is too loud, you know? It's just too big. There's too much there. And so that did kind of bother me, but my snare kind of sounds like my snare when I hit it there, you know, there's a little bit of stuff blended in there. The Tom sounded beefy and great. Cymbals sounded good. So yeah, whatever TJ usually did, you know, I was, I was happy with, I always know it's, it's nice being comfortable going in to a studio and like playing your ass off and doing your job and not having to worry about how it's going to sound in the end. Cause you're like, okay, I know that I'm going to play this and this engineer, they know what they're doing. They're going to capture what I'm doing and they're just going to make it sound better. Make it sound good. Yeah. Year, you know, do you play to a click live? No, I, the last band I played guitar for, and I have in old bands, uh, when I was in, I hate Kate, which was a band with Justin Mariello. He was the original singer, guitar player for Zebrahead. He was like on their first, you know, a couple of big records, like playmate of the year and all that stuff. Well, when he quit that band and started his own thing, it was, I hate Kate. And we were signed to glass note records with, uh, like Mumford and sons and Phoenix and, Secondhand Serenade and some other bands. The label was out of New York, but Justin was obviously out of here. So I drummed for that band and it was always to a click because we had backing tracks that would, you know, pump out through front of house and everything, little synth stuff and, you know, noises and keys and all that shit. So and the last band I played guitar for was with a click and everything as well. And it's cool. It definitely honed in my inner meter. And anytime I go and record in the studio, we obviously use a metronome just to make everybody else's job easier. But it definitely made me a lot more comfortable with that. But we still, you can even hear it on the Hit the Switch record. Like to get that natural feel, like I was talking about before, you just kind of play with the click is there as a guide. Not everything has to be right on the grid. There's certain parts of a song where the feel calls for it to be slightly behind the beat. You know, you're just slightly behind that metronome, behind that beat. And then maybe when it punches into the chorus, you need to be right on top of it. It's a little more staccato, it's a little more straightforward. So, playing with the click and stuff I like doing. I think that, that comes across in the feel of the songs and stuff too, when you listen. Kind of let it like letting the, the songs breathe a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Like even click mapping certain stuff. Like you don't just set a tempo and the whole fucking song has got to be that tempo. If the bridge sounds too fast and it loses the feel, then all right, let's set a different tempo for the bridge and we'll click map it. So that way yeah, I've definitely done that. I've done, yeah, yeah my band, uh, I have a band called No Big Deal, and uh, we there's a couple of bridges where we slow it down. And yeah, it's just, you got it. It, it sounds yeah. it just sounds better. And I I'm, I bet people are listening. They're like, "Whoa, what song did he do that?" In? Yeah, I'm gonna go figure it out now. What yeah. song was that, Michael? Tell us. Uh, I'll tell you. It is. I can't remember the names of my band songs anymore. It's been so long <laughs> since we've played. Right. No, um, uh, we have a song called Up All Night, where it's like kind of like a, a faster like, and then the chorus. Everything is kind of fast. And then I remember the producer was like, we should slow the bridge down. And all our minds were like, what? How? And it took us like a hot minute to like practice it in the studio and figure it out. And then it was right. like, oh, yeah, this is this is cool. And then when it comes back into the chorus, it sounds faster. There's a song on the new Voodoo Gold Schools record 
where they did that because we did it when I tracked it and when they re-recorded it with um, Steven, their drummer now, they I could tell it had the same feel and they did it. So I'm like, ah, cool, good. They kept it that way. Like it just feels good that way. Are you into heavy metal at all? Or is like, do you like metal at all? I know you like, you you did some Metallica covers. So I'm yeah. asking. In my fourth grade school picture, I'm wearing a fucking Ride the Lightning shirt and I got my <laughs> bangs combed over one of my eyes. This was the eighties, you know, but I grew up loving metal. I just funny. I just had this conversation with my wife cause she's, she loves fucking metal, but she's 10 years younger than me. So she, and growing up in Canada, she loves a lot of that fucking just kind of like doom, like Norwegian even type metal and like all the different sub genres of metal, black metal and fucking purple metal. I don't know. Pink metal, the shit that I didn't give a fuck about, but I know as a kid growing up in the eighties, Megadeth, Metallica, Iron Maiden, they were the fucking shit. And then suicidal tendencies, you started to get a little bit more of that punk infused with it. And then thrash bands like DRI and like Anthrax, all that stuff was the fucking shit to me. And then I got super into death metal when I was in like junior high, like Cannibal Corpse and, you know, Merciful Fate and Napalm Death and bands like that. Fucking loved it. And then I just, I just kind of had my time with it. There's a handful of a little more modern kind of metal bands that I like and dig and that I'm impressed with. You can only take so much fucking shredding. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's gotta be, there's gotta be some sort of, Something to just catch me and grab me. And Matt, it's funny, Matt from Hit the Switch, he surprises me all the time. And he'll show you, like, you heard this fucking band? And I'm just like, no. And then he shows it. I'm like, you like this? Like, I like this. But I'm really surprised that you like this. He's like, fuck yeah, it's just fucking ripping. So it's nice to put it on if I just want to hear some ripping. And I want to feel like an even worse drummer than I'll listen to metal. <laughs> an even yeah. worse drummer. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, that's it. Do you feel like you take those influences, like you said, like all those metal influences and, and they're in your writing and your, in your drumming. Yeah. I, I think even just naturally subconsciously, they, they have to be, people could talk all the shit they want about Lars as a drummer, not playing a straight beat. And it's like, well, dude, that was an innovative fucking thing that he was doing. And that definitely influenced me. It's just like, how about a little bit outside the box drumming? Not every metal band has to have the same fucking blast beats and, you know, the same fills and all that shit, you know, he was definitely outside the box. And that's what I think set Metallica apart. And that's what I love most, like learning Master of Puppets and what other one did I do? Blackened. Learning those note for note for drum videos was a fucking pain in the ass. Like, I, you, I don't know if you can see, but there's a hole in the door right there. <laughs> it's just little, yeah. little hole right here. That's the stick hole right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> fucking dinger like boom it's yeah in there. Fuck! like getting six minutes into an eight minute song and making a mistake and you're like god damn it like he does this fucking fill here like so fucking shit. that's funny yeah. yeah i'm pretty sure no one can figure out the main riff of master puppets like the timing on it is like apparently really strange it's not four four it's not like six eight it's like yeah it's something crazy like 34 yeah. beats or so. It's fucked up. It's so crazy. That's how um, Blackened is too. Like uh, the the whole like solos, you know how there's like those back-to-back solos? Yeah. yeah. And like the bridge of that song where it's fast, like and then it explodes. The timing on those and where like his little his little snare fills and stuff are is not typical. Like at fucking all. And he does four little ones in the middle there and every one is different. And you're just like, fuck, what was this one? What was that one? Like trying to learn those. Yeah, it was tough. And But dude, nothing but respect for that. Like you, you can't deny how innovative that was. And that definitely has influenced me for sure. I, I use that approach with a lot of stuff. I try to get get away with it where I can with like hit the switch where it's like, dude, just fucking keep the beat going. It's like, no, you know, like bands like Wilhelm Scream are like perfect at that, you know? like blending a, a fast beat into a backbeat into mid tempo and halftime and then back into a fast beat. Like I love that shit. Love it. Last time Guttermouth went to the UK, we did the slam dunk festivals where it's like, there's like three, three or four shows or something in like, you know, three or four days and comeback kid was, was on the stage like next to ours. And they were after like a couple bands after us every day. And fuck, dude, they're goosebumps every time seeing those guys live, man. They're, just, they're amazing. So very, I, I got to tour yeah. with them. I want to tour with them. <laughs> Andrew, if you're listening. Yeah, take Hit the Switch on tour with you, man. Yeah. Make it happen. Make it happen. We are all big fans of your fucking band. 
you're you're already so before you had your kid you were super busy mm-hmm. and now you have a kid and it's like you have to that and you're super busy are you prepared to like to go on tour are you ready for that uh like yeah, the emotional it's, part of having to leave home yeah it's gonna it's definitely gonna be tough for sure um but i mean we have Thank God we have things like, you know, FaceTime. I remember touring with guys in my bands that had kids before FaceTime or Skype or even of that shit existed. And cell phones were so, you know, accessible as well as such a good tool, an easy tool to use. Like now you can get an international plan and you can talk to your fucking wife and kid and see video and everything anytime you want. But I saw the pain on their faces going through that. So luckily I don't have to go through that phase. Luckily technology, I had a kid at the right time, but I'll do what I got to do, man. Music is my uncontrollable passion. That's why I have two ex-wives, you know, um, is because I've kind of always put music first and everything else second. And, uh, luckily that's why I married the wife that I have now, Elodie, uh, cause she was from the industry. She had tour managed, she had booked, she had worked for labels. She, she gets it. She knows what it's really like. And she's French. Yeah. French Canadian. <laughs> yeah. She gets it, you know, that's something that my my ex-wife said in marriage counseling when we we're basically beating a dead horse trying to save a, a hopeless marriage it was just like music is your wife and I'm just your mistress. And I was just like, you know what? You're fucking right. And you deserve someone that's going to put you first. And I deserve someone that's going to understand and kind of because I can't control it. I've tried and I and I can't I'm, I need this outlet like. I'd be a fucking wreck if that's why I play in multiple bands is because I like to stay busy because I need it. You know, I, I need to go out and play and make people feel the way that these bands made me feel when I was a kid and just escaping from whatever bullshit I'm going through, even if it's only for a night, you know, and then also being able to travel the world and go to all these awesome places and meet fucking awesome and amazing people and do that playing music that I love, you know, it's, it's, my soul needs it. I wouldn't be me and I wouldn't be able to function. I don't think without it. And my wife, understands that so we're not looking forward to it but luckily i'm in a band with a bunch of older dudes that don't want to leave for more than like two weeks at a time you know so i don't see any like six eight week fucking three month tours in my future for any time soon so we'll just dip in and dip out you know go to fucking australia for two weeks come home for a month you know go to go to somewhere else for a couple weeks and yeah that sounds like like that that sounds perfect yeah that sounds i i I know me and my family can can handle that. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. So we'll see. I don't know how old your daughter is. I'm assuming, I think it's like within a year, right? Yeah. She's just turned 10 months, man. Okay. Uh, and yeah. does she, does she have a drum set yet? Uh, yeah, she actually does. You're trying to teach them how to play rock and roll, but they're, when they're older, they're going to rebel and want to be doctors and lawyers instead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I was the opposite. Like I saw, you know, like the paradise city and welcome to the jungle videos. When I was like fucking five or six, I was like, I want to do that. And like, I'd, I don't want to be a doctor or a cop or a lawyer. Like that's kind of all I ever wanted to do. Yeah. Thank you. MTV. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, um, yeah, she's sat on my lap and like, I'll put the sticks in her hand so she could feel the vibration of hitting the drums. And she loves it. She loves it. She wants me to interview her. I have to keep this door closed or she'll be in here. It's like, well, hopefully we'll, we'll see you in Toronto soon and uh, sooner than later. Definitely, man. Definitely yeah. in the works for sure. Perfect. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. My pleasure.
Country Club Circle Jerk. What a funny name for a title for a song. That was Hit the Switch. Great episode. I had a lot of fun chatting with AJ. He is a super cool dude. He is so busy, but I mean, he's got so much talent. You know, he just got so much talent on those drums that everybody wants him on, on the skins, you know. So it works out for him. It's great. Thank you so much again for sticking around, listening to this episode, tuning in to the Miserable Failure podcast. It means the world to us. I want to give a big shout out to Steve Risen. He is the technical producer on this episode and all previous episodes. Thank you, Steve. He works at a drive studios in Toronto, Canada. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to everyone else. We'll see you next time. <laughs>